Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Hello, my chickens. I am very excited today to share with you this conversation about ADHD and other neurodivergent brains and how we can think about some of the traditional self-help, self-development, coaching advice that we get when our brains are maybe neurodivergent and don't necessarily line up with all of that advice. I think in my own experience in my life, my loved ones, coaching people with neurodivergent brains, like some of what's recommended, I think in coaching and the self-development world is actually great for people with neurodivergent brains. And then some of it may be not as helpful. So we are going to dig into all of that with Kristen Carter, who is an expert on this topic. So Kristen, so good to have you. Tell us a little bit about who you are and kind of where your expertise on this topic comes from. Well, first, hi, Cara. Thank you so much for having me. Super pleased to be with you. I have ADHD and I have a coaching practice where I help adults with ADHD just kind of figure out how to accept themselves and their brains and make forward progress in their lives without hating themselves. I also host the I Have ADHD podcast and I've been in the ADHD space actually for about a decade. I worked with students who struggled in school. Most of those students had ADHD. And so that was like my first introduction into the space and actually where I began to learn about my own diagnosis mm -hmm. and what it meant to have ADHD, which was very eye opening for me because I had already been diagnosed for over a decade at that time and then began to learn about what it actually meant to have ADHD as I was trying to help others. And so for the last four years, I've been coaching. It's the joy of my life. I wouldn't want to do anything else. It is so much fun. I love that. I think it seems very common, especially for people, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 41 in my generation to sort of a lot of people find out later in life or like when they have kids and then their yeah. kids get diagnosed and then they get diagnosed. But I think it's such a good point that often people may have gotten diagnosed when they were younger, but just there wasn't the same amount of resources out there to kind of teach you how to deal with it. I definitely think when I was growing up, people who got diagnosed with ADHD would just be given medication. Yeah. And that was kind of it. Like you didn't really hear about ADHD coaching and learning how to work with your brain. You know, it was just kind of like, okay, well, we're just going to give you a pill that is a you know, and which, you know, is useful for some people, not for others, but there's just, there's just this sort of like one size fits all hammer of like, here's a powerful stimulant. I hope that works. Yeah. Nine-year-old, like, let's see what happens. Exactly. And I'm also 41. I have the privilege of being diagnosed at the age of 21. And that was exactly my experience was I was diagnosed. The doctor said, you have ADHD. That means you struggle to pay attention. Like, no, duh, thanks. And then handed me a stimulant medication. It was so helpful to me, but I didn't know anything else about ADHD. And so to begin to uncover that it actually permeates every area of my life. And most of the things that I hated about myself were actually symptoms or impairments of ADHD. And so that kind of unraveling process was so healing for me. I've learned a lot more about it recently since having somebody relatively newly in my life who really struggles with ADHD, but 
somebody who was never diagnosed as a child or is even older than I am was never diagnosed. And I think like sort of what set this off for me was you saying like, oh, I realized the things I hated about myself were like related to this. I think their experience has been a lot of like, oh, that's why I do that. Right. Let's like everything makes sense. Like, oh, this is why I struggle with this and this. And this is, you know, why like I've had these kinds of experiences in the past. Like it's all kind of coming together. Absolutely. I know one of the things you work on a lot is how people with ADHD can work on setting and achieving goals in ways that Mm -hmm. might be kind of different. I definitely notice the people in my life who have ADHD that one of the things that they struggle with is a sort of like long-term planning in some ways, right? It's that kind of executive function of like thinking, okay, well, like I want this end result and it's going to take 10 steps to get there. And like, what do I need to do to get there? And that's such a big part of a lot of what people come to self-development for is like help being organized, getting things done, hitting goals. So I'd love to hear kind of your perspective on how neurodivergence impacts that. Well, absolutely. That is going to be one of the top struggles for someone with ADHD is setting a long-term goal and being able to persistently pursue that goal over time. And there are so many factors that go into that. Our executive function is so, so, so deficient, which just effectively means that we struggle with prioritization, problem solving, planning, time management, organization, memory, literally all of the things that allow you to be a functioning adult in the world, we're going to struggle with it. And so it's so frustrating for someone with ADHD who's intelligent, who wants to make a difference in the world, who wants to be a high achiever, to be held back by all of those executive function deficiencies. And so, of course, if medication is an option for you, like that is the number one place to start because medically treating it, if your body consents, that is a really, really basic, fundamental, like great step forward. But then how do you get yourself to do the things that you know you want to do, but you just can't force yourself to do? Can I ask a question about that actually first though? So when I think about medication, the thing that I think most of us think about it is like, oh, it helps you focus, Mm -hmm. right? Like helps you pay attention. But what you're describing, right, is a sort of longer term, like this bigger picture thinking problem. Like I noticed with the people in my life that are have ADHD, it's often feels sort of like that prioritization. They're just like, oh, it's like, okay, I have a list. I'm just moving down the list yep. as opposed to being able to be like, well, wait, but this thing on the list requires these three steps or I'm supposed to, if I'm supposed to have that done in two weeks, then what needs to be happening now? Right. It's like very linear sort of in a way of just like, mm-hmm. what's the next thing and not yeah. 360. So is that something that medication actually helps with that mm-hmm. level of that's so interesting? Yes. So Different types of medication are going to activate different parts of the brain and help with different things. Can I say the word different a couple more times? I'm not sure. Um, Not the same things. It's just the similar things. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you so much. So there are different types of medications. There are stimulants, there are non-stimulants. There are medications that help you to have more dopamine, which is that reward system because our reward system is broken. So if you know somebody with ADHD, you know that the boring mundane everyday tasks or the things at work that they think are stupid are going to be the hardest for them to do, even if they're easy, even if they're the easiest thing, you know, something like dishes, laundry, expense reports, all of the things is my personal nemesis. I like, thankfully I've partnered with someone where we have different ones. So like he can do the dishes very easy and I can do the (laughs) long-term planning, but I cannot do the dishes. So some other kind of dopamine regulation problem. Yeah. Like I cannot ever get the dishes done. I totally understand and resonate with that. And 
medication can help with different areas of, of the brain that need to be activated, including helping us to regulate our emotions, which is another huge aspect of ADHD that is finally being uncovered and talked about is emotional dysregulation. So the inability to identify, process, soothe our own emotions mm -hmm. really keeps us from making forward progress. And, you know, obviously you're a coach, you spend a ton of time with your clients, I'm sure, helping them to process their emotions, identify, because it's literally the fuel in our gas tank. So mm -hmm. if we're not getting the results that we want, it's probably because of an emotion. Of course, that emotion is triggered by a thought or a million thoughts, but the emotion I find for ADHDers to be particularly difficult because we're very disconnected. I mean, that's painting with a very broad brush, but we're very disconnected from our emotions. And it's hard for us to say, I am feeling frustrated because X, Y, Z, and I'm going to go take a time out and self-soothe and I'll be back and ready for action in, you know, five minutes. It's instead, yeah. it's like an explosion or I'm going to self-soothe with peanut butter and Netflix for the next six mm -hmm. hours, right? It's like right. really hard for us to just calm the F down and get moving in an appropriate way. Yeah. So I know that you have a theory about kind of the emphasis on consistency in the mm -hmm. coaching world. So will you share this with us? Because I think even my listeners who are not neurodivergent, like I obviously am somebody who teaches a lot of anti-perfectionist strategies. And I know there's mm -hmm. also overlap between perfectionism and ADHD. So I think a lot of this applies whether you have ADHD or not. So tell yeah. us your thoughts on consistency. I appreciate you asking the question. And I want to preface by saying I get so fired up about this topic because I would love to take all of the consistency, what I call propaganda, and just throw it into the trash can because for someone with ADHD or anxiety or depression or any other mental health condition, consistency is really not going to be an option. Mm -hmm. And so as someone who's neurodivergent, who is also a very high achiever, who's always wanted to live a very big life, I've been confronted with all of the gurus, all of the people I've followed, all of the people out there in the world who I want to be like and emulate and follow in their footsteps. And what they tell me is you have to be consistent to be successful. Mm -hmm. And what that did for me was make me feel like, well, I guess it's never going to happen because mm -hmm. consistency is not an option for me. My brain is not the same day to day. My body is not the same day to day. Something will come up for me physically or mentally to make it almost impossible for me to show up for my own life. Mm -hmm. And I think people with chronic illness might also be able to relate to this where it's like some days you feel great and some days you don't feel great. So yeah, how I are you experience this of like some days I can get so much done and some days I'm like, I cannot do anything right now. Yes. And so we are actually, in my opinion, not meant to be consistent. We are meant to ebb and flow. And if we can accept that ebbing and flowing is a beautiful way to achieve a goal, it's the most sustainable way in a lot of cases to move toward your goal. And instead of trying to be consistent, instead be persistent, mm -hmm. just be determined, be willing to try and fail and try and fail and try and fail. Be willing to be at day one every day. 
So, you know, like we get those streaks in the apps or like maybe it's fitness or mindfulness or whatever it is. And it's like, I'm always like no streaks. This is no like a no streaks. streak movement. We're not doing streaks. I, I love as, I mean, that. I love, I love persistent. And I also think the way I think of it is like, I'm just redefining what consistent means. It's like, I look at it as a like consistent over the long haul. Meaning mm. if I show up 80% of the time or even 70% of the time, yeah. For five years, what have I produced versus like, well, I showed up hundred percent of the time for the first three days. Right. <laughs> and then because I had three bad days, I never did it again. Exactly. Right. So it's like, I'm looking, I try to, the thing that I find the most helpful is I like this persistent idea too, but sort of like, you know, we can get rid of consistency and we can also decide what does that mean? I'm trying to like, mm-hmm. if I was like a mostly consistent walker, meaning yeah. two thirds of the time I went for the walk yeah. when I said I would. That over two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, like it's sort of like zooming back out to see the compound interest of the effort that you do make and seeing that you actually are consistent, quote unquote, over a long haul compared to if you believe I have to do it perfectly and then you stop. Yeah. And perfectionism is always going to be a barrier to making that forward progress because as soon as we mess up, we're like, well, I might as well not even try. I absolutely love the way that you're defining or redefining consistency. The only, I don't want to say problem. It's definitely not a problem, but the difference for someone who's neurodivergent or at least has ADHD is we often will not have access to that zoomed out thinking. We often do not have access to that ability to see the perspective over the long period of time. And so what we have is just the now. Yeah. And so how do I interact with now if I can't see like, well, actually, you know, I've been persistent. I've been consistently inconsistent over time. And this is actually a really good thing. We struggle to self-evaluate. We struggle with our nonverbal working memory. We struggle to understand and conceptualize time. So to zoom out is, I'm like so jealous of your ability to do that. I'm like, I want that. Can I buy that? Well, but I guess I will say like that didn't come naturally, right? That came from like a lot of practicing and thought work. So Mm. I think like part of what we're touching on is there's some kind of spectrum, right? There's where your brain is if you don't intervene and you don't practice any thought work and you don't like practice these skills, you don't practice changing your thoughts. So there's like whatever your natural default state is, right? And so I definitely would never say like, well, you're neuro, like, first of all, there's nothing really superior about being neurotypical. And I would never Mm. say that thought work takes you from neurodivergent to neurotypical, right? right? But I definitely have seen in my students who have ADHD and, you know, the people in my life who I interact with a lot who have ADHD, that certainly thought work and changing the way they think, right, does help develop some of this a bit because part of it is just a habit of how you think and then telling yourself a story about how you think. Like, well, I can never think this way. You're like, well, then you're definitely not going to, (laughs) right? Like, And that with enough kind of persistence of like practicing a new way of thinking about it. So I think like it's that balance, right? The zooming out in time is challenging. It's also not something that like came naturally to me. And I don't, I mean, I have not been diagnosed with ADHD and there's things about the descriptions or symptoms that like resonate with me and things that don't. Like I am very good at big picture forward planning thinking. And also Mm -hmm. I like cannot make myself get up the couch. It's like sometimes I think it's some other kind of dopamine regulation issue that doesn't fall into ADHD, but I have Mm -hmm. some of that classic like I was infamous in college for like not studying at all until the night before. And then like banging out that 30 page paper overnight. Right. I just, I just wrote my book draft in like six weeks. Oh, I love it. 
like that kind of thing. So I have like some of the elements, but not some of the others. Like I'm able to close a cabinet door, which is something in my house that doesn't happen unless I do it. (laughs) So anyway, but I think that's sort of part of the antidote to perfectionism is like not going, okay, well, this is just how my brain is. There's nothing I can do Mm -hmm. about it wherever we are on the spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. It's neither perfectionism of like shaming perfectionism. It's like, I should be this other way. How do I make myself that way? But I think there's also like the sort of helplessness of like, well, this thing is hard for me for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And so that's that, right? There's like something in between, I think, of like adopting these thoughts that you're, whether it's the way you're saying it or the way I'm saying, like practicing that on purpose. Like, because I think that for some people, the idea of showing up, like when I hear you say like every day, day one, the perfectionist part of my brain is like, oh, Jesus, I'm never going to make any progress, Mm. right? So like, I think all these things, it's like, that's why you have to sort of try them on. Yeah, I totally agree. And when I say every day is day one, like I day one myself to a million dollar business, I day one myself to all of my goals because day one is my favorite. Let's go. It's day one. It's no problem at all. I'm not going to be consistent and that's fine. I don't expect that of myself. I don't shame myself. I don't beat myself up. I say, yeah, of course I'm not going to be consistent. It's day one again. Let's go. Let's, let's get on it. I mean, I honestly think the lack of shaming oneself and the ability to start again, it's like, that's the thing that matters the most. However, whatever you call it or whatever, like tool or framework you use, that's, that's, I was about to say, that's the thing that's consistent between people. who. So let's talk about motivation because this is something I think about a lot because of this sort of like, there's definitely something weird with the dopamine in my brain where I have that experience of like, yes, intellectually, I know it would take five minutes to do the dishes, but there's just, I'm not doing them. That's that's not happening. But also seeing that like part of what's so interesting to me is for my partner is that like, I guess we're a good match in that like the things that I cannot get myself to do, he actually does quite happily. But the so things good. that you can't do, I'm much stronger in. So, so like between good. us, we have like one fully functioning situation. <laughs> <Brain>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have like one fully functioning brain between us. But I think this comes up in coaching all the time, right? Because people think even neurotypical people have this idea that like they're supposed to feel motivated consistently, right? So right. like I spend a lot of my time being like, I don't, motivation may not be coming. Like, let's Mm-mm. not be waiting on that train. Mm-mm. But I'd love to kind of, but since we're talking in this sense about motivation as partly being a sort of chemically driven thing, yeah. right? Based on your dopamine regulation, I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Yeah. I mean, I think you and I are probably like right on that same page as far as motivation is concerned, because I personally used to wait around for motivation to arrive. And so I would constantly say things like, I really want to do X, Y, Z, fill in the blank, but I'm just not motivated. I really want to get this done, but I'm just not motivated. And when I really uncovered ADHD and its symptoms and realized like, okay, motivation is something that I'm going to struggle with the end. Like I can take medication, it will help with it, but it's also not something that I have immediate access to. I just can't go pick it up off the shelf. So I'm going to need to decide what I want. And then I'm going to have to go after what I want, whether I feel motivated or not. And so now the feelings that I really try to generate are determination, willingness, acceptance. Those are the three. I'm like, just get rid of motivation, throw it in the trash. We don't need it. What we need is first to be aligned with our values and be making values-driven decisions instead of shooting on ourselves and 
you know, making decisions around what other people expect or whatever. I think that is a huge thing because a lot of our quote unquote, like, I'm just not motivated is like, well, yeah, you don't even want to do that thing. You don't even care about it. Right. Like, can we just start with caring about it and then working on, okay, whether or not motivation is here, I want to get this done. And so I am not going to wait around for the dopamine hit prior to starting. Mm. I'm just going to start building my desire. So when I go looking for motivation, what I start to do is coach myself on why do I want to get this done? Why is this important to me? What impact is this going to make in my life or in the world? And once I start kind of going down that train track, Mm -hmm. not sure that pathway, that's when I start to generate those feelings of like, okay, I'm willing I'm willing to get this done. I'm willing to take a step. I'm willing to go on a podcast and talk about ADHD and potentially say something really stupid because the desire is I want to make as big as a, of an impact as possible. And in order to do that, I don't feel motivated. I feel scared. I feel intimidated. I feel dread, right? But the end goal is I want to make an impact for the ADHD community. So I'll tolerate the dread and the fear and I'll pull in some determination, some willingness and some acceptance. It's about not (laughs) having black and white thinking, but being able to be in the gray. I'm going to feel fear and I'm going to feel willing. It's both. So do you have a theory about how that maps onto the kind of chemical level? Like, do you think that those new thoughts are producing dopamine? Mm -hmm. Or do you think that you're like finding a different way to take action? It's so interesting because like I said earlier, a typical person with ADHD is very disconnected from their emotions. Mm -hmm. And so really that's like the very basics of where I start with my clients because to even ask an ADHD or how do you feel about that? Mm -hmm. Usually it's like sad, mad, excited, or fine. Mm -hmm. We've got four, that's it, right? And so to- add in nuance to the emotional conversation Mm -hmm. is like so confusing. So I definitely think there is something chemically involved, Mm -hmm. but what happens when we start to take ownership and accountability for, oh, my emotions are my responsibility. Didn't know that till I was 38 years old. Right. So like those kinds of things is we start to see what impact we're having on it. So I can sit here and say, I want to do this, but I'm not motivated. So motivation is my villain right? It's like motivation's fault that it's just not here because we all know. And I think this happens across the board where, whether you're neurotypical or not, sometimes that motivation just blows right in. And all of a sudden, I don't think anybody's served by waiting. I mean, everything you're saying, I coach people on all the time, whether they're neurotypical, like exactly. my partner's kid the other day was like, I can't work on it yet. Like I'm waiting to be inspired. And I was like, Oh (laughs) no, that's not how we do this. Come here, little one. Let me, let me show you let my way. Tell you something about inspiration and motivation. Those are when not, it not comes to be relied upon or waited for, especially exactly. if you have if you're neurodivergent in a way where you tend to have a lot of excitement at the beginning of a thing, and then right mm-hmm. the novelty is a dopamine producer, and then and then see you later. I mean, I will even get a dopamine hit, and I know, I know a lot of my clients do too, from just making a plan, not even. Oh, this is the, the perfectionist fantasy. Yes. I mean, this exactly. is a whole, I have a podcast episode about this. Like people who will like our, our tendency to get dopamine from making a plan and then not follow through. Right. But then Absolutely. like we just make another plan because we like making the plan, mm-hmm. like color code the calendar and put it all on the calendar and get the dopamine hit. And then we're like, well, I don't yes. actually need to go to yoga. I got the dopamine hit from the calendar just for making it. Or I bought the outfit, which right. is so cute. So right. now I'm, well, I'm definitely not the going. dopamine from the online shopping also, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, 
I so, like to call bedazzling. We bedazzle our schedules. We bedazzle our calendars. We bedazzle all of it, but we're not actually yeah. doing the goal. We're just bedazzling yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's definitely a balance. Sometimes I do too many tasks like that in the morning where I'm like, oh, I'm going to book this thing and I have to purchase right. that thing. And then I'm like, and now we're out. Now the store is <laughs> empty and now I can't exactly. do my work. I know one of the things you talk about, which is something I have been also learning about, is like, what can people who are neurotypical do to support people in their lives mm-hmm. that are neurodivergent? Especially, I think, in intimate relationships. Like, I'm so glad that I have this background. I think it makes it so much easier, right? Sometimes when I, like, describe things, my friends are like, wait, my kid also has never closed a cabinet door in their life, right? Or, like, whatever these sort of, like, <laughs> these kind of, like, telltale signs but like for me, I didn't know. I mean, I know more about it than I did before, but even just coming from coaching, I was like, mm-hmm. it at least prepared me to come in with a kind of like, okay, so your brain is obviously like having a different thought or way of working than mine is like, right. what's happening? Let's try right. to understand this. I need to learn about this mm-hmm. as opposed to like coming into it, just being like, oh, why are you like this? Or like, I think things are supposed to be this way and your brain is that way. So what kind of advice do you have for people on how to be more supportive of neurodivergent people in their lives, which Mm. by the way, all of you, anything you hear that you're like, yeah, that applies to you also. You can be supportive to yourself. (laughs) Yes. That's such a good point. I love that. I would say the first thing that you can do is begin to drop the judgment around what you're seeing in the other person, which I know can be very hard because in relationships, we obviously trigger each other and we spend a lot of time trying to control the other person so that we can feel good. And so it's so typical of us to look at someone else and say, you're doing it wrong. You're just doing it wrong. Right. And so just an openness to like, there might be another way to do it. There might be another way to think about this. There might be another way to like make dinner. And that other way I'm going to warn you is like very messy and very chaotic. And that is just the way. Right. And so to look at it as like, you know, I've been married to my husband for 19 years, which makes me seem very old, but hopefully also very wise. And what we have done is evolved to the point where we started out with him being annoyed. Mm-hmm. feeling like I needed to make a lot of changes. And mm-hmm. we've evolved to a place of he's able to see the way I operate and mm-hmm. see the quirkiness of it. It's mm-hmm. very quirky, right? Like why yeah. Why am I doing the steps in that order? I have no idea. Oh my God. I just went through this last night where I was like, I'm okay. sorry, what is the... See? I was like, it was like See? such a weird backwards process from my perspective. See? But then we, I was like, okay, there must be, how did this happen? And it was right. like, oh, well, once I did it that way, it, for reasons that made sense that one time. And then I was just like, this is how I do it now. And I was like, I love it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing, because if you can look at it and have a chuckle and laugh about it and be like, okay, there's just more than one way to do this. It takes so much of the heat out of it. It takes so much of the judgment of the blame. And it also, it's like a two-way street where the ADHD, it really is the responsibility of the neurodivergent person to understand their diagnosis, accept themselves, and then help to educate the people around them on like, this is how you can interact with me. This is how you can help me. But as a partner or a friend or a parent of someone who is neurodivergent, you can also be dropping your own judgment of the person, being open to a different way of doing things. And then just asking the question, like, how can I help? So like my husband just, he doesn't like to cook. So I do the cooking, but it's, I mean, it's like a shit show. Like it's yeah. just this crazy. Is what I went last and- night where then we rinse the thing off after we cooked it. What? 
I love it so much. And that's the thing is that if you can just kind of pop in and support, so he'll like wash the dishes as I'm cooking and he helps to keep the environment. What's the opposite of chaotic? Organized. There we go. He helps to keep the environment organized and I'm just doing the thing. I'm a very creative when I cook. So I'm just like, well, whatever. And he's just kind of plodding on behind me. Mm-hmm. And he's not like, why are you making a mess? Why are you doing it this way? He's just like a partner. Like, and this is true, like whether you're neurodivergent there. or yes, not, right? Just like, be a is- partner. And like that there can be other ways. I think not surprisingly, probably we often right couple with somebody ideally who like, we compliment their strengths and weaknesses yeah. and vice versa, right? Yeah. But so that means that, you know, there's that tweet that was going around that's like, in every partnership, there's one person who stacks the dishwasher like a Scandinavian architect <laughs> and one person who stacks it like a raccoon on meth. <laughs> and like, so like, if you're the meth <laughs> raccoon, then you can, <laughs> you can like embrace that creative chaos and yeah. not take it personally when your partner wants to organize and right. vice versa. If you're the Scandinavian architect, it's like, okay, great. I can bring organization to this, but it doesn't have to. I mean, one of the things I see with so often is that because people are attracted ideally to people who balance them out. Yeah. Not, I should say ideally, if everybody wants to be a chaos raccoon, that's great. If two cool. Scandinavian architects right. want to have a perfectly <laughs> organized home, that's great. Cool, but cool. a lot of us are in relationships where we've got one of each, yeah. right? And that's like how we balance each other out. Mm. So for me, it's also, I have to, a lot of what I do is being like, you know what? Yes, I prefer an organized kitchen and it will be organized again. It's yeah. like, it doesn't have to be happening this minute. Yeah, Like the chaos can happen. So like we have worked, especially with having children around, it's like we work out agreements that allow for the natural amount of chaos that these people are going to create. And also my tolerance for how long I can stand for things to be chaotic. So it's like, okay, every night though, we're going to turn on the music for seven minutes and everybody's going to straighten up. Right. Like, so, so so that there's not that like micromanaging every second. But Mm -hmm. I also think like the, you know, that's, as you said, both people have the responsibility because just because you know, if you're a neurotypical person who's choosing a partner with a neurodivergent person, you both have the responsibility to be like, can we both come in a little bit? You know, how can we yes. both push or stretch ourselves a little bit to make this work? It's not all on the neurodivergent yep. person to change, but it's also not all on the neurotypical person to just be like, okay, yep. well, because it's neurodivergence, then I just have to completely conform my life around you. Yes. Right. That's actually so kind of said in a different way. Like, yeah. And, and it also, like begs the question, is ADHD an excuse? And I think that's such an important question to ask. And and I always am trying to help my clients understand it is an explanation. Right. It doesn't let you off the hook. Like you're still an adult who is held accountable for their decisions, but it is an explanation of maybe why you got to that point or why you forgot the thing. This morning, I had an interview at 9 a.m. I usually start work at 10 a.m. I had an interview at nine, completely forgot. I had enough time to get out the door, but like I jolted out of bed like a crazy person and was like, oh my gosh, I have an interview in an hour. My kids are off school because it's spring break, you know, all the things I was sleeping in. And my husband immediately was like, okay, what, what do you need? Yeah. Which- 10 years ago, five years ago, he probably wouldn't have done, right? But we've yeah. worked out this system where he's like, he knows that he can do like three easy things. He can get me a cup of coffee, right. make a quick lunch and gather some breakfast food. Food is like really such an annoying part of life sometimes when you're just like, I need to leave for work and I have to think about food is so annoying. This also so- seems ADHD specific. I know a lot of people with ADHD who have a very hard time 
kind of, it's like the executive function to feed yourself consistently. There's a lot of like not eating all day, binging at night. Like, yeah, I could talk for hours about that. We have a 5 p.m. check-in where I'm like, have you eaten today? It's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. And for all of the partners to neurodivergent brains, it's such a simple way to nurture the person that you love Mm -hmm. is to say like, Hey, have you had any water today? Do you remember that water is a thing? Right. Did you know you're not actually made of just (laughs) seltzer? You actually are made. This is like a fight in my household is whether seltzer is as hydrating as water. This is not related to neurodivergency. (laughs) We just have a disagreement about this. But I also think like one of the things you're saying that I want to highlight, I think is true for any kind of brain, which is like that whole explanation versus excuse thing is like, that's also true for like, you know, you may be neurotypical and be controlling about your environment because of how your childhood was like not an excuse. It's an explanation, right. For both things. It's about understanding why your brain works that way. It's not really about, you don't need to excuse yourself. There's no panel of judges like doing the scorecard. It's not really just when people say it's an excuse, I'm just like, I don't even, what's the point of that question? I mean, I understand why people ask it, but I just like, if you really think about it, what's the premise of the question, like Mm. an excuse to who, who's deciding what we're allowed to do and not do and what we have to have a justification for Like all of that is made up. But I think when you can understand your partner's brain and bring that humor to it, like one of my deals is I will go around the house and close all the doors to everything and close all the doors, but I get to take (laughs) pictures and send them. So I call them like ADHD found art. Like I'll go into the kitchen and like every cabinet will be open and then I'll just like take a picture. Right. So that's like how I will, I have signed up to, for the rest of my life, close all the cabinets. I understand that's what I chose, but I am going to send you a picture when it's particularly funny. And you have to be, for me, it's so important. Like I laugh at my own brain. Yeah. My partner has to to laugh at their brain too, but that's what removing the stigma does. I think is just allows us to be like, oh, wow. Human brains. Like Mm -hmm. look what's happening here. And if we could all just drop the judgment of our brains and other people's brains, that's what allows for that humor. That's so connecting, isn't it? To be like, I see you. I see how you leave these cabinets open and it's adorable. And we're going to document it and we're going (laughs) to laugh about it. It's so connecting. But what happens when there is a lot of judgment involved is the ADHD will feel shame. Right? right. That's part of the problem. Like I will watch yes. TikTok ADHD videos and I think it's hilarious. Not in a laughing at. I'm like, sure. oh my God, each of these things happens in our house. Right. Yeah. But that's I actually don't have judgment, but because exactly. the person has shame, then yeah. it's like to them, it's like, oh, that's, you know, I feel bad about this. I feel shame. And one of the things that we have been talking about in my household that I think I teach this for neurodivergent people too, but I think especially for something that's stigmatized, like mm-hmm. neuro- you know, I sorry, I teach it for neurotypical people too, but especially for something that's shamed like neurodivergence is like, mm. is this concept of like the human ecosystem? Like, okay, you might have trouble with long-term planning and execution, but I bet you're pretty good at being spontaneous and rolling yeah. with the flow and problem yeah. solving when things go wrong, right? Sure. And that yeah. has been really, I think, helpful for the neurodivergent people in my life who have a lot of that shame of like, mm. oh, you know, neurotypical people might be great at long-term planning. And some of us are like, very uptight if the plan doesn't happen, right? And yeah, it's like everything has this positive and negative side. Yeah. So I want to circle back to where you said that you were known in college to like hold off on writing the paper, procrastinate, 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 and yeah. then boom, knock it out, you know, in one night. I think that is such a beautiful picture of that. So you could shame yourself for that. You right. could say, why don't I start earlier? I should and just- I used to. The procrastination used to be very unpleasant. And now I'm just like, 
oh, I'm just going to actually enjoy this week when I'm not exactly. doing exactly, And then just write on the last day, like I know that I will. Exactly. And I'm going to be like, I'm amazing. I just banged out a book proposal in six weeks. Like who does that? I do that, right? Like mm-hmm. you get to see the strengths in your own brain and the strengths of even the things that you used to shame yourself about because like so many people shame themselves for waiting to the last minute. Oh, I think that's an incredible superpower. You mean you waited to the last minute and you produced this? That's right. amazing. You're right. so lucky. Yeah. So good. So good. I do not think ADHD is a superpower. So just in case anybody is worried that I do, don't worry. The superpower was not meant toward the ADHD. Okay. Gotcha. No, but I know what you mean, right? It's just, it's sort of like, I mean, for me, all of thought work is very pragmatic. It's like, okay, this is the brain I have. Yep. Would my life be easier in some ways if I had a different brain? Maybe. And harder in others that I can't Mm -hmm. even know or predict, right? But like, I may as well, if this is how my brain is, look for yes, I can acknowledge what the limitations are so I can work around them, but also what are its strengths? And just seeing that as part of the whole, right? That like, okay, maybe my brain does have a harder time with things that come easy to other people, but are there things that come easy to me? Like I've talked on the podcast before about how my partner, about how one of our things we work on is that like, when I come home, he's like so excited to see me. And I'm always like, (laughs) oh yeah, it's you again. But I'm like, this is great. Yes. Eight people with ADHD struggle with object permanence sometimes. I think every time I come home, he's like, oh, I forgot about you. I love you. Right. (laughs) And that's like such a beautiful thing. Whereas I'm like, I've been thinking about you all day and I have opinions about your shirt. (laughs) Like because of the kind of oppression of neurotypicality, it's like we only highlight what's supposedly bad or wrong or different about neurodivergence in a bad way. But if you can look at whatever and whatever your version of it is, ADHD, OCD, depression, anxiety, whatever it is. Right. Right. There's probably parts of you that are related to those parts that are actually really wonderful and beautiful or mm. things you're better. You know, and yeah. again, it's like you said, it's not about being like, it's a superpower or like it's quirky or whatever. It's not any of that, but yeah. we're one self and everything yes. that is challenging or limiting in us has also, we're still here, has made us like resilient mm. or creative or something else in other ways. And if you can mm. try to think about yourself that way, I think it yeah. helps with some of that like shame and stigma. As a whole person, yeah. not just yeah, not just your dopamine regulation. Exactly. Exactly. So exactly. Good. So where can people find you if they want more of this? Well, I host the I Have ADHD podcast, and you can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts. And my website is IHaveADHD.com. I have a coaching program for adults with ADHD, and you can find all about it there. All right. Thank you so much for coming on and remembering that we had this interview. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Cara. If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is the podcast community for all things Unfuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying the concepts to your own life. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will blow your mind even more. And it's where you can hang out and connect over all things thought work with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will change your life. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. That's unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I can't wait to see you there.